everyone. Welcome to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. We're on episode 51. I'm your host, Evan. And I'm Tom. And welcome wherever you're listening to today's podcast. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Um, And on today's podcast, what are you going to cover for the audience, Tom? I'm going to mention a United Nations water conference that took place. And then uh, Beethoven's cause of death. What? Sorry? Uh, a, have you heard of Beethoven? No. Ludwig van Beethoven. Oh, uh, Beethoven. Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard about Beethoven? <laughs> yeah, I know Beethoven. Yeah. So there was some DNA uh, molecular tests done on his uh, on his samples. Right. So that's cool to see um, the reason of his death. And then most recently, there have been few cases of Marburg virus outbreak in Africa. So I just look some for that. I look into like what the Mar- Marburg virus is and um, just if there's, is there any uh, vaccine, any medication for it and what happened okay. in Africa. So if you're yeah. worried about Marburg virus, you're listening to the right podcast, um, <laughs> giving you all that info. Um, and yeah, today for my story, it's kind of a, a revisit about um, semaglutide or Wegovy. Um, I'm just going to cover n- recent uh, news about the drug because um, it seems to have exploded. Um, they've been joking about it on the Oscars. So I was like, OK, it's been on the Oscars. I think our fans need to know if they need to be worried what what's going on. Yeah, it was everywhere. Give a a quick overview of the the whole topic. Yeah, so I think today will be a good episode. Uh, I know we're a bit later in the month than normal, but I think because St. Patrick's Day was on last weekend, so we were both... You have to have your excuse to drink. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think you wouldn't have wanted to listen to a podcast where we're hungover. (laughs) Slumbering. No. So that's why we're we're coming to you a little bit later but we're still in march so we're still within the month so we're still we made we're still it. managing um how was your st patrick's day or how how was it since have you oh, been just messy yeah does <laughs> i don't think you can that. have a a non-messy no. st patrick's day to be honest it's good it's, it's good it's once a year yeah once and a year I, 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 I would never stay around in dublin i think for it because it's just um just looks too crazy it's and the weather's always cold either cold or it's raining i've never seen yeah. a really great day for it so i don't know how to get it i, I went I, home I, for buddies i went ho- i had a wedding on so i went oh, home okay. for that so it was a good excuse to be like oh i can't go to because w- usually you're like okay i have to make the most of the day so you have to go to some parade <laughs> and then you're like okay well now i have to just drink because what else is there to Peer do pressure. <laughs> so this they're like oh i'm going to a, a wedding so it, it's okay good. for play yeah <laughs> not too bad um, uh, sp- yeah speaking of oscars because mm-hmm. you've mentioned do you, rem- do you re- remember what happened last year at the oscars yeah yeah the slap the slap and then a year later the um the comedy stand-up came out from chris oh, Rock. yeah yeah outrageous have you have you seen it well, I, I seen the bit where he talked about where he got slapped. God, it's such a pointless, <laughs> like, oh, I hate it. Like, oh, you didn't like the special? No, 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 no. Because all of them, all of them comedians, like, they all talk about the same stuff. Like, how they are not racist, but <laughs> it's like, 
What, what, but like, what? He wasn't talking about being racist, was he? No, but like, okay, it's like, oh, I am for uh, like gay marriage, but there's like, oh, so he, okay, all right, so that was what he was mentioning in the the special. Yeah, like they always support any cause, but then there is always a but, a caveat, a caveat to it, like you know, and like every, like all of them, they have the same material. All of them, they say the same stuff, like just being. uh, outrageous, uh, yeah, outrage about like you know the wokeness and stuff like that. It's yeah, all the yeah. same shit. Like it was just Chris Rock, Ricky Gervais. Uh, it always, well, uh, that's the two people that I have in mind right well, now. But the like, pretty biggest one. Oh, because I all I heard was that the whole when he did get slapped, he didn't want to mention. He just said, "I'm not going to be a victim and talk about it." And but then he decided to talk. Oh, about how it. brave, isn't? <laughs> oh, he's so brave, and like the walkout. You're just a comedian, like you don't need this pyrotechnics. You don't need like <laughs> a rock star. It's I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe I'm just turning too old and too bitter. Well, but, I like, think, and we were talking. There was um this podcast, another podcast called Your Mama's House, and they had Tony Hawk on, and like Tony Hawk's a legend in skateboarding, and then this the woman uh, who hosts that, uh, Christina. Christina, she was like every uh, trying to make comparisons between com- comedy and skateboarding. Like, oh, like if you bomb and com- when you're doing a set on a, a comedy uh, show, it's just like if you like miss a trick or hurt yourself on skateboarding. And it's like, how are you making this connection <laughs> at all? Like, they're not the same. These people <laughs> are detached from reality. I think they de- they are. Yeah, I think that's the problem. They're just so far removed from what regular people experience or regular people think that they're trying to fit fit what they think they what what they think it it should be and i think that's that's the problem when you get a comedian when you're start you're really relatable and then you get really rich and famous and then they lose that touch with reality (laughs) so that that was my thing like i just and i i think i watched like 15 minutes and i was like this is awful (laughs) like i i don't want to watch this anymore like it's yeah. Oh, it's just awful. But and and that's me. Like I think, yeah, yeah I okay. don't know. So I can't find joy in comedy anymore. <laughs> well, if you have any comedy comedian recommendations for Tom, let us know. He's really struggling right yeah. now. He, he needs yeah. he needs some too woke. And for definitely them. not. Don't come in and say Brendan Shaw because he's already had my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we won't go into that. Um, so. Yeah, so Tom, do you want to jump into your um, yes. some of your news stories then? Yes, so um, we've been talking about the GOP meetings for environmental causes and such. And I don't know if you knew, I didn't know that, but between 22nd and 24th of March, which is like two days ago, uh, the United Nations had their water conference in New York, in America. And Netherlands and Tajikistan uh, were kind of a co-host of this uh, of this event in new york okay so that's um nice for Netherlands, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so billions of people worldwide still live without safe safely managed drink uh, drinking water and sanitation even though access to both services has long been defined as a human human right and water and poverty are closely linked Without water, there is no development, and without development, there is no uh, eradication of poverty. 
So discussion about issues with water sanitation, preservation and equal distribution um, has not been a hot topic recently. You don't really hear that much of, um, of water topics coming up on telly or on stuff like that. So I think that's why it was important to have this meeting and that and because it is important, that's why they had it. So the first meeting of such nature took place in 1977. So it, it took us quite quite some time to realize that the water is important. Mm. And uh, then in 2015, we had uh, the international community. Uh, international community has set up 2030 target for uh, providing clean water and sanitation and um, and all of these targets they have set up in 2015, they are, are overlapped with this United Nations Water Conference that they have been discussing. So there is some synergy there. And today's today's year team is accelerating change uh, for this water day. And accelerating change is a wake up call to do even more to solve water and sanitation crisis. Uh, what is needed is a collective and urgent action by governments, regional associations and global uh, global development partners. And this initiative is especially targeting the inequalities that people living in sub-Saharan regions of Africa. According to the 2020 WHO report, 411 million people in Africa still lacks basic drinking water services and 779 million lack access to basic sanitation services and 839 million people lack access to basic hygiene. Mm. And the relevant issues including water scarcity, pollution, in inadequate water supply, again, the sanitation, uh, this has the impact of on climate change and this day brings to the light the inequalities to access to wash services and to the, to the need to access the human right to water and sanitation. So Water Day took place two days ago. Were you aware of it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you think water is, uh, is at crisis right now? Water uh, supply? Yeah. Do you ever think about us? Yeah, obviously in in Ireland, like we've such a crap every summer. I'm like, if it it's a few weeks gone by with no rain, I think we go. They're already at like hose bands straight away. Like even in a country like Ireland, which gets a lot of rain, so the way we manage yeah. our water is really bad. I don't think we'll ever be at a stage of drought, but so we're always going to be fine. But like I'm last summer in Europe. There was like huge water, like rivers drying up. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. I didn't know in China they had the same. So like I I it's definitely something you're aware of. Um but yeah, it's it is kind of worrying. Um but I think it's like whole the whole package of global warming that people kind of think about, but I don't know, it's not Yeah, really. that's what I thought as well. Like it's hard to stop the it start to start. It's hard to manage the water crisis if uh, if part of it is due to the uh, you know like these hot summers and hot yeah, stretches of time when everything evaporates. Yeah. So you can't really fix anything without fixing global warming. Yeah. But I think here they're just trying to yeah, just be more fair about the water we still have and you know don't leave the people uh, out in Africa without not yeah. like yeah. They say though uh, yeah like it, we just have to be able to manage. The water supplies that we have so that we are able to reserve like yeah reserve water yeah. Or, uh keep it at a, at a level that's that's important like i know i've heard that 
like Las Vegas, which has a like the the hottest weather, like it's in a desert. They are like the most efficient at managing their water supplies. That compared to every other, a lot of other states in America, and like yeah, because so, they live in a desert, so it's like initiatives like that or something that I think a lot of cities might have to look at that they just manage their water systems really effectively. Yeah. Um. So that we can manage, which it's just solving the solving the issue rather not the cause but i suppose one thing at the time i suppose yeah yeah um but like i heard another report with the global warming like saying we're basically at right at the tipping edge now and we need to do something asap or it's going to be irreversible and i didn't see really much much yeah, but impact on that is, either like um, this is really up to the um government up to the big guys right yeah it's it's crap like, like there's even, only as much as you can do it's even just thinking about like the even the green party the one green party we have in ireland like i just they can't they struggle to get anything done and any little bit they don't get done like i'm not saying that their initiatives are great or anything but like that's the yeah. that's the party that you'd be like okay if you care about the environment you'd vote them in and yet they struggle to even implement ideas because they're in government so i'm like if they're struggling what like and they're the green party like what else can i do as a person to get the government to do anything yeah so i just sure. try and vote more green people in, green party people in who some of them even don't care about green policies i don't know why they're even in that party so just to get the severance like or whatever well i think they're more uh left-wing ideology and they translate that to being a green party whereas green party isn't about that it's about environment is not really about left or right and i think that's a big thing that struggles yeah because it is this environment environment is being li- linked now to like a left left-wing ideologies right like if oh, you yeah, care for yeah. environment you have to be left-wing yeah yeah and if you like don't care for environment you have to be a right-wing but no you're just mm. an asshole then yeah okay it's all yeah uh, so that's the that's great, the water water crisis great uh happy news story there <laughs> <laughs> it only gets better it only can so, go up <laughs> um okay that that i found a little uh, interesting because uh yeah i've picked up uh like my piano a few like last summer yeah my piano classes again so i've been like tipping away just playing Inspired. little tunes yeah and i saw this i saw this news about ludwig van beethoven, Be- beethoven. Uh, and yeah so as as we know you are aware of him yeah, I was in okay. I was in Vienna there, um, like a, a month ago, and I seen his. Did you meet him? I def yeah, I met, <laughs> I met him reincarnated. No, um, I seen where his um, his studio was or where he used to sleep. I don't know which one it was. Maybe it was okay. both. Um, we didn't go in because it was just a room that they've remade to look like his bedroom, and I was like, I'm not really. So it wasn't pay the original space. Sorry. It wasn't the original spe- uh, I spot. I think it was the original location. It okay. was, yeah. Um, right, right, right. But I think it, it's not like it was just left like that since he died. <laughs> Nobody cleaned it. Like. Yeah. Uh, but, I, yeah, you could kind of see where it was from the outside. And I was like, okay, that's... But, like, that's I'm not nice. a huge classical music. Even that, yeah. that's not, I think that's even wrong. I think he's not classical. He's more another genre of... <laughs> I think he kind of... He was like... he was 
because my teacher told me, sorry, <laughs> I have to remember this now. He was like transitioning from uh, classical music into like romanticism. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he was like this uh, big virtuoso. Like he was, he was really good. Okay. Without a doubt, there's like no, 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 Shout out no Beto, point denying man. it. Shout out to Big B. Uh, yeah, but he was like transitioning to very kind of to romanticism to this different type of music. But and nevertheless, the story goes. Uh, German composer and pianist, we covered that. Born in December 1770 and died uh, in March. He actually died today on the 26th. Oh, there you uh, go. In the 1827. So uh, we remember you. Yeah. Rip. Um, another thing that I, uh, that I have a question for you is like, I wonder if you, you do, do you know what kind of condition was Beethoven suffering from? Um. I just thought he died of old age, to be honest. But do you know what he was struggling with throughout his life? Well, all these he was geniuses. Deaf. Oh, he was deaf. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So imagine that, being deaf and still being able to write was music. Was he fully deaf? By the, uh, by the age of uh, 44, 45, he was totally deaf and unable to converse unless he passed written notes back and forth with his colleagues. Oh, okay. And had he written, uh, wrote, wrote most of his best work by then or was it after? No, not, 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 not most of his best work. And you can also notice that there is a difference in, in the way he writes music when he's deaf because he doesn't use notes that are uh, very spread out on the, on the edges of the piano because you can't hear the, you can't even oh, detect yeah. the vibrations. So most of his work when he's deaf focuses on the like, on this core region of the piano, oh, if you okay. like, if you imagine the keyboard, yeah, yeah, because that's where he could feel the feel the music so the so well. Yeah, and you know, because he was playing like probably still in utero, he already probably started playing pia piano. <laughs> he was like so, like he just knew what in every individual yeah, key sounds like. Term. Yeah, so he was just able to to do it. But I think it's still uh, you yeah, it's still great. It. <laughs> it's still like it's a, imagine being like. Imagine you're blind and you can still drive car. Like that's yeah. that's literally what it is like. And you just you just know the road. Like he just knew the piano so well. So yeah, a great great genius. Um, Fine girl and deaf on top of that. So yes, yeah, so one of these mysteries is the uh, one of the mysteries of the life of Beethoven is the exact reason of his deafness because all we know is that he was deaf. He he wrote letters to his family to his brother and nobody could give him a reason for why he's going to going deaf. So he was like, in his letters, he was writing to his brother that like, he, he really wishes that like, sometime in the future, someone will be able to, you know, like just put a name on it, like what is happening yeah, that I'm yeah. deaf. And, you know, it took 200 years. Well, we'll see if we, if we, if we know what happened. <laughs> but uh, a team of ancient genome researchers at the University of Cambridge in UK extracted genetic material from uh, preserved locks of hair that are alleged to be Beethoven's. So that's like the first uh, assumptions you introduce into this, okay. like this is supposed to be his. Uh, they, they not only wanted to unravel the reason behind his deafness, but also shed a light on Beethoven's health problems in general from like the genomic point of view. So eight locks um, were had, they had eight locks of hair. Uh, 
uh, that were claimed to be from Beethoven. Five matched each other based on like the genomic screening. Five ma matched each other and were assumed to be authentic samples of the composer's hair. And the ones that didn't, they were not used in <laughs> the analysis. That's so weird. That, like, how, how did they get three that were just not his? Uh, yeah, like, you know, just throw maybe. three more in there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone was, maybe they were selling them back in the day, like, you know, yeah, lot of better hair, just like, yeah, increase the amount. Yeah. Um, the team was then able to extract genetic material uh, from a sample and produce a sequence covering about two thirds of the genome. And they, they analyzed it for, uh, you know, known disease causing genetic sequences. Like two thirds of a 200 year old DNA, like I, I two thirds of the genome, I, I still think that's nice. Yeah. And um, okay, so the big, uh, the big reveal, what mm. did we find out? Uh, the latest study suggests that Beethoven probably died from liver disease brought on by combination of viral hepatitis, alcohol consumption, and genetic factors. Right. Our boy was living life, okay? Well, That's... like viral hepatitis, there's a few, it's not necessarily sexually transmitted. Oh yeah, well like, you know, you can just, it's from... You could pick it up somewhere. Uh, I was just more like, you know, I thought he was just like parting hard, drinking hard. Oh yeah, apparently, but like everyone say, was drinking. Oh yeah, every, everything, and every, it's a, everyone. A, yeah, his, and obviously then his liver was weak anyways. Yeah. So the DNA ex, uh, extraction showed that Beethoven had two copies of a particular variant of the gene PNPLA3 that has been linked with liver cirrhosis. So that's your connection there. Uh, he also had a single copy, single copies of two variants in the HFE gene that causes hereditary hemochromatosis. So that's another uh, liver link disease. Medical historians have speculated that uh, autosclerosis, a condition in which a tiny ear bone called the stapes fuses with another part of the ear might have been responsible for Beethoven's hearing loss. The genetic cause of autosclerosis is yet to be identified. What, what? So the, that this is a speculation that this might have been the reason for his deafness. They couldn't find oh, any okay. any any deaf genetic. Uh, genetic markers that would point out why he is deaf. So uh, yeah, so we know about the viral hepatitis. We know about his liver problems. Uh, there is some yeah, and the genetic background for it, mm. but we don't know specifically why why he went uh, deaf. deaf. Yeah. yeah. So ge genetic genome sequencing, it's, it doesn't have the answer for everything. You 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 yeah, as surprising as it sounds, <laughs> as it reluctant have, yeah. as you want to admit, coming yeah. from a genetic background. <laughs> I mean. If you want, yeah, there's so many things that you can do with this, uh, with this uh, nucleic acid yeah. after after transcription, like you know. And uh, how that, how how common is that? After the, uh, I that I don't know. It's a good question. How, I didn't, how do you know, how do you spell it? Do you know? It affects ten percent of the white population. I don't know why I have to specify the gender. White population. Yeah, and two women are two limes more likely to develop the disease than men. Uh, frequency, uh, as mentioned, is thought to be decreased in secondary to measles vaccination. That's interesting. Don't know how. Take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> Let's Google it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But now, now you know, uh, and it could be a disease linked with Beethoven's Beethoven Beethoven's deafness. But we can't 
uh, we can't support this uh, for now. It's just a hypothesis that is put out And it there. says that I think a large, it is family history. So there is kind of some inherited aspect factors yeah um yeah anyways so right that's cool thanks that's yeah uh, no problem i thought i thought it was nice so um you know ancient genome research right in line mm. of the latest nobel prize winners who's, and who's the next person to get find out who how they died um, okay, I look at the mysterious deaths that science <laughs> tried to uncover, and I have someone else for the, ne- for the next. Hasn't died by knife wound or somewhere. I usually, I think they're doing that with a lot of Egyptians, um, pharaohs, pharaohs. Yeah, yeah, the mummies to see because I think some of them were just very ill. Uh, anyway, well, all of these uh, got, incest going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So it's maybe they want to, yeah, uh, yeah, pin down even more. Okay. Um, oh, speaking speaking about <laughs> ancestral relationships. <laughs> okay, where is this going? Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. So uh, I was watching I was watching a, a documentary about cheetahs. You know, because uh, your, uh, I have the favorite going thing with cheetahs. Yeah, your favorite and enemy. My favorite my favorite enemy, and uh, I found out that around twelve thousand years twelve thousand years ago, because of the changes in the environment and uh, yeah changes of the environment there was a mass extension of cheetah species because i don't know if you have known that cheetah has been spread across all of the continents oh wow europe africa and asia well except i think except for australia and uh, you know the arctic uh, places so in twelve thousand years ago a I hope I remember this right. They they did uh, um, genetic tests on the cheetahs and they discovered that 12,000 years ago, their number went as low as seven. Oh, wow. Seven cheetahs in the world. And they were like, they literally have had no right to survive that huge of a genetic bottleneck effect. Yeah, yeah. But, but they did. And as a result, they have like this... Um, these little genetic defects that they carry with them throughout oh, the life, okay. or even till today. But like, I thought like seven and they just had to do it, you know, brother, sisters, like, just let's, let's do this. Like God. we take one for the team. Crazy, isn't it? It obviously was the ones that were the fastest because maybe they weren't known to be fast back then. And then the ones. No, that no were, I think they always were known oh, to be fast. Oh, they were always known. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 what changed in them is that like, you know, they have like this, this very muscular tail. So the tip of the tail and they use the, the tail to, to help them steer while they chase the prey. Yeah. But the very tip of the tail, it's like, it's tilted up. It's like a permanent, uh, this from, disfiguration of yeah. the tail so this is like one of these results of this uh uh inbreeding yeah is that yeah, like the, 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 the very tip of the tail is like tilt up okay there's and no another, reason for that Doesn't no it's just like accumulations of mutations oh, okay. were, uh, led to that phenotype and then they uh the bite the the lower teeth uh they kind of are like pushed forward from the mouth a little uh, underbite, bit underbite is it Maybe, maybe it's underbite. Well, it's not like they sticking out, but like they kind of pushed forward oh, from the okay. mouth a little bit, like in the and kind of spread around as well. So yeah, cheetahs, interesting animals, definitely. Wow, that's crazy. And what? Yeah. What, what? It's just like because the environment was changing, and they just weren't able to. Yeah, yeah, they just uh, mm-hmm. they were just dying off. Like you know, they not the uh, 
Um, they're, not, they're not very competitive. Uh, well, actually, male cheetahs, they hunt in packs called coalitions. Female cheetahs packed by them, uh, hunt by themselves. And, uh, but, you know, they are not one of the big cats. They're rather... They're weak animals, like, you know, hyenas. <laughs> I think you and told us already. <laughs> hyenas and all the other big cats. Well, hyenas not a cat, but hyenas and, and lions and jaguars, la, sorry, leopards, they would be able to steal the prey of them. So, like, I don't know, you know, maybe 12,000 years ago, they were very unlucky, mm. like, getting the food or whatever. But, like, the based on the DNA testing, it was they assume there was as little as seven of them left at some point. Wow. So, yeah, I know. Well, hopefully that. that doesn't happen to us. <laughs> I oh, gosh, don't want to no. think about it. No, Anyways, no. moving on to... Uh, talk, I'll, talk to us about weight loss. Yes, the weight loss. So um, if you haven't listened before, we did an interview with... Um, so what... Sorry, maybe you say, what did we discuss the last time on our podcast? So it's about semaglutide or Wagovi. Which Degovia. I'm going to interchange um, as I talk about this drug. Um, so the last time we had Professor Carol Larue on, um, it was on episode 36. So if you want to learn more um, about it, it was a it was almost a year ago, I think, uh, when, we, when we did that episode. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so if you want to learn more about the drug and he he's an expert, please listen to that episode. Um, I just want to kind of revisit what the current situation is now. Um, so. Um, when we interviewed him back then, so when we interviewed him about the approval, we we interviewed him about the approval of the drug, which was just approved at the time by the European Medicines Agency for patient use in all EU countries for adults with obesity with at least one weight-related health issue. Um, and the drug was it's administrated through weekly injections, with the clinical trials finding that the that Wigovi and then it's also known as Ozempic as well even more confusing because that's the diabetics diabetes treatment brand name so okay um I'll, I'll explain a bit more but this semaglutide originally was used to treat diabetes patients um and then when they when they looked at these patients to see that they were also experiencing weight loss and they're like oh, maybe we could use this to try and treat obesity as well Mm-hmm. So um, it's manufactured by Novo Nordisk, um, and and yeah, as I said, it's it was approved for treatment for type two diabetes, but it was at a, a lower dose. So you, when it's treated with obesity, it's a higher dose, and a type two is a bit a lower dose because you want to reduce their um, glucose levels and hypertension within these patients. So that's kind of what the main aim, rather than losing the weight. Um, mm-hmm. for type 2 diabetes and it was also interesting to note at the time when we did the interview he said that drug that the drug may not work for people who have what is termed a cultural desire for thinness but it works really only for people with the disease of obesity so it's important to remember that <laughs> now um, now that it's been discussed the way it is yeah. so as I said so why am I covering it now? So I wanted to mention it because I, I heard it being used as a joke on Oscars and it's really blowing up on TikTok. I think people are doing their weight loss journey based on that. And it's just oh. like, is the whole information about what the drug is and how it works really out there? Do, do people really know 
what the the downfalls are is it just a, mm-hmm. a positive spin bias on it so that's why i wanted to kind of cover it as well there's been kind of news about um how the drug has been promoted by uh certain groups certain weight loss groups or obesity groups and okay. how it's been kind of they're being um promoted by the the manufacturer these groups are promoting it based on they having an association with the drug manufacturer nova nordisk and it's not being fully disclosed so i just wanted to discuss to see what is this it what what's going on behind the scenes is there something kind of sinister going on underneath does it you want to see how the sausage is being made is it (laughs) maybe yeah um so I might just give a quick overview again. So so for people that don't know what is semaglutide. So um it's a glucon like peptide 1 or GL1 GLP1 that reduces appetite. Um and it's a natural hormone that we produce after we ingest, ingest a meal to signal satiation and fullness. So when we have a meal, it's produced um by the it's produced that helps us make sure that we're full we don't need to eat any we don't need to eat any more food and we we're okay. fine because we are full yeah exactly okay um <laughs> people who are obese they often do not feel satiation after meals and it often leads to the snacking which means that they are constantly ingesting food and that's not good for their weight management and stuff like that so injections with the hormone helps improve the satiation so they will they will ingest less food mm-hmm. um, and the problem was before its approval um it was it, ozempic the diabetes um drug because there was i'd say they've seen it was being so effective in diabetes patients they were like for weight loss so they were like okay maybe we can use it for obesity but it wasn't approved so often it was being used by private providers um off-label to help in the weight loss so this was before it was approved okay. so there was already kind of a risk back then of what was what would happen so people people obese people were just given this drug before it got proper yeah FDA yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah but now that's what it is approved so okay um yeah. but there's still that issue going on now um and like what's happened in the last year well it's so it's been approved by the the nhs in the uk um, and now it's kind of like the media has got has c- seized control of the narrative, I suppose, if you want to say that. Mm-hmm. And it's like <laughs> quotes being called Hollywood's favorite skinny jab is coming to the NHS. Um, weight loss game. Sorry, changer. what was the first one? Hollywood's favorite skinny jab is coming to the NHS. Oh, OK. okay. Um, weight loss game changer. The Times was like could trim benefits bill and then another one is like eat inject repeat curing obesity worldwide <laughs> so eat, like inject bi- repeat <laughs> oh my god that yeah. sells a wrong image doesn't it but okay never mind but, yeah basically and it's not just on these traditional media as i said uh instagram it's full of posts about the drug from ordinary people on their weight loss journey mixed with promotional material from healthcare providers encouraging them to be the example that others might be afraid to be. And, and then take tw- the semi-agglutin. With the semi-agglutide, if you take okay, it. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Um, and then on Twitter, Elon Musk has confirmed that he's used the drug, 
while other celebrities have felt the need to issue denials that they don't because they're like, well, how, are they, how have they lost weight so quickly? Because and they have millions of dollars in personal trainers. Like, can we just... <laughs> like, how is that? Like, oh my God, how could he lose weight so fast? Uh, well, this is... I think they're, everyone just presumes like, oh, if it's so easy, then there must be a secret way of them doing it rather than... But like, it is easy for them because they don't go to war. <laughs> well, they think it's just like something else that's, okay. that's been... As we know, there's always a higher something else higher power sure. behind it okay um, i'm not getting irritated and yeah it's and, fine. and t- <laughs> tiktok is as well has exploded with brand names hashtags by those using and prescribing it but there is something sinister is there something sinister going on reg- with regards to bu- its publicity like these people who are being interviewed in these medias those people on on these social medias is there is there something really might be not being disclosed and is the drug pub, general public aware of all the facts in relation to the drug? So the data, as well as I just wanted to say, the data is used to base or prove was based on a step five trial, which showed that patients, which were mainly white and female, with an average body mass index of 38.5, lost uh, an average of 15.2% of their body weight compared with 26 in the placebo group. So it was, it's excellent it had a really effective results yeah. for these patients who needed to lose weight. Yeah, if you need it, it works. Yeah. Uh, and in the Times, uh, the England Health Secretary, Steve Berkeley, was keen to use GL1, GLP-1 drugs as a way of preventing illness without resorting to nanny state measures. Um, having already Sorry, he se- wanted to use it as a preventative from getting fat? in a way yeah yeah this is this like is a va- vaccine for fatness <laughs> well i don't know i don't i don't know exactly what he meant but he i think he's just saying maybe if we get to a certain threshold you should be taking it to stop the the health mm. um health issues further down the line well some people want to be fat so <laughs> how okay keep going okay let I'm me keep saying. going yeah um, i'm just saying so yeah, he they're prevent they've set up a twenty million pound fund to research further obesity treatments, uh, and the econ- the economist said in a leader column that these new drugs mean that the world's fight against flab may be eventually won, but is it concerning that a health secretary is publicly commenting on a drug that has just been approved, and they're not really mentioning much about the public health measures that should be followed in uh, preventing obesity because that this is just treating the cause rather than preventing um yeah the the core issue for at the at the at the heart of it um in ireland 37 percent of people are overweight and a further 23 percent are obese so that's like over half the population are at least will be overweight yeah and an obesity strategy relying on jobs would mean a lot of people would need to inject themselves potentially for life because with go over you need to it's continuous injections uh, and given that the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, so it's the NICE, these are the ones who give the recommendation. They say that you need to treat for a maximum of two years. So just say you wanted to get, if you were diagnosed or you were put on the treatment, they would say you mm-hmm. need to go on for two years of treatment. So that's daily injections for and two years. And then you years. get off the treatment and you have to But that's the thing, it's, it's uncertain what's going to happen after that because... After you stop injections, there is weight gain because it's not long term. 
um, effects because you're you're just your body won't naturally start producing more GLP one. So yeah. you're you're going to go back to what it was before, and it could give a, a reversal of the many other gains such as the hypertension or hyperglycemia. Um, so that means that after a two year of prescription, many people who would ta- be taken off it would swiftly gain weight, and then they would have to try and find it, source it privately often because they can't get any more prescription because like you've done your two years, we're not going to pay exactly any longer. Uh, and given the social gradient related to obesity, it might be that the people who most with the most to benefit from the drug will not be able to afford it. So that even put more pressure on the lower economic class who... Because they are mostly affected by yeah. the disease of obesity, right? Yeah, and and it's like, not to, well, I'd say in America, when it's, it's um, you have to pay for it out of your own money privately, there's definitely going to be a huge split in yeah. people who can afford it. But then even in places like in the in UK anyways, if they're only giving you a prescription for two years, so if you can have a a, a medical card for two years and then they're going to stop it, well, what, what are you going to do after that? Exactly. Uh, and also there is the side effects. So there's gastric problems such as nausea, diarrhea, and vomiting and constipation, which I don't think these... Um, tradition. The media, social media people are really uh, describing as well, um, <laughs> and I think again it's given this positive spin for people. Um, and it was eighty two point two percent in the semaglutide group compared with fifty three point nine percent in the placebo group. Who experienced the side effects? Uh, yeah, with these these side effects, yeah. So it's significant again in the semaglutide. So you basically guaranteed all of these awful things to happen to you maybe not all at once but yeah 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 that's true um well, and I, I was reading you um, be 10 sorry if you want to be 10 yeah exactly um but like i think the way because you have to feel full and um it, 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 this is kind of a you know when you eat too much you're going to feel oh, sick. i know that yeah so i, know that, I think yeah. that's just the way it's just the, the downsides of feeling full all the time um, but I was reading some like review or like personal statements of how people are on the drug and like it's like any drug you're going to have side of people just won't agree with them. Yeah. But I think a lot of people would be willing to try and put the put it at risk to lose weight. Like that's like a, such a huge important thing to try and have. Yeah. Um, but then so like what has there been something going on behind the scenes? So the drug giant behind weight loss injections newly approved for the nhs use um it has spent millions in just three years on an orchestrated pr campaign to try and boost its influence wow in in the uk anyways so part of its strategy it's paid 21.7 million to health organizations and professionals who in some cases went on to praise the treatment without always making clear their links to the firm so the the relevation the rev revelations come as the drug giant is being investigated by the UK's pharmaceutical watchdog after it was found to have breached the industry code seven times in relation to a disguised promotional campaign of a, of another of its weight loss drugs via online webinars for healthcare professionals. So the 3,500 plus payments from Novo Nordisk 
in 2019 to 2021 include donations, event sponsorships, grants and other fees to prominent obesity charities, NHS trusts, Royal Colleges, GP practices, healthcare education providers and universities. And they've also spent £28 million on research and development in the UK. And have also helped to fund a group of MPs um, that lobby on obesity strategies. Uh, and it was also revealed that a professor who was promoted the benefits of the job on BBC Today programme, who was calling mm-hmm. for greater access to semaglutide beyond the limited number of specialist clinics, is a former advisor to the company. And he's also <laughs> the president of an obesity char- organisation, which was made paid more than $3.6 million by the firm. And people, the listeners, weren't made aware of that. Um, an expert who praised the drug as a game changer... Uh, he's a senior clinical scientist at Novo, Novo until last July, and he owns shares. And a third prominent scientist who gave evidence was a president of an organization paid more than 4.3 million by Novo in uh, three years. And he, his declarations of interest to Nice showed that these donations were not disclosed. So no, <laughs> they're not really disclosing that they've been either the companies they've worked in not personally but companies they've worked yeah. in or they've been associated with the, the company and it's kind of like the drug itself could be used but it's muddy in the waters because you're like oh is is this like something to do with um something sinister like they're sorry is it, it's muddy in the waters because you're like is this genuine or is it because they're being promoted paid to promote this yeah and it's kind of like oh uh we don't know um, like the greediness cast a shadow of doubt yeah yeah it, it's casting a shadow of a doubt so as i said they haven't been declaring maybe the full um the people who are promoting the drugs aren't disclosing maybe their associations with the company yeah and again among the biggest received recipients of cash as well from the company were obesity charities according to to the this is the one investigation um the world or obesity federation which calls for treatment to be funded as an essential service was paid four million by novo between 2019 and 2021 and the european association for the study of obesity also received just over three and a half million in the same period and again it's not mentioned in their accounts that they were being uh, provided by Novo Nordisk. Yeah. So again, muddy in the waters about this is just why huge money being passed around. Yeah, exactly. To and these companies like seem to be fully um, at going ahead would be like, yeah, this drug should be provided to every all obese patients. But you're like, what's is this genuine promotion? Um, and again, then there are other more subtle problems with the semaglutide coverage media coverage as well mm-hmm. for example a surge in private demand for prescriptions may compete with supplies to fulfill prescriptions for patients at high risk of complications related to obesity or people with type 2 diabetes in the same pharmacy um so like if you need the if you're at a high risk for with diabetes or you're high risk of of, of diabetes or high risk for um uh, complications from obesity you're the one who should be getting the drug rather than yeah. private clinics or people who are just like, oh, I, I look at it on the line and like, I want to I wanna have this look like this 
or yeah, hot, be yeah. skinny like them. Well, it is a medication at the end of the day, right? So it should be given to yeah, but like people these who private, need it the most. At the moment, yeah, yeah, these I, private, anyone can book into a private. Like it is true public services getting a supply. You need a prescription, but but not private. Exactly. Okay. Um, and then charities also representing people with eating disorders have also raised concerns about the increasing availability of the drug outside the NHS, with many clinical pr- private clinics offering email-only services. So with no visual or in-person contact, the drugs could be obtained without an express clinical need and it may cause harm. Like one former anorexia patient said she used to skip meals and finds it scary that there's a drug out there that lets you do the same. Uh, and unlike other risk factors such as cholesterol, cholesterol or hypertension, weight is highly visible. Many overweight people feel a sense of shame and there is much evidence of stigma in society. Historically, the medical profession has offered a sorry collection of non-evidence, harmful or downright dangerous interventions to often desperate people. But then the caution about long-term side effects is therefore warranted with this drug. Given the lack of long-term data, it's only recent that we found out about how it, how it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then is also, should we really be considering the social pressure being put on people about their appearance? Um, and then this is why they're having to turn to the drug rather than maybe sort of an, an acceptance or a, a prejudice against people for the way they look. And I think that's, again, another... Uh, look at society as a general and that people feel like they have to turn to a drug to look skinny to rather than which might make them that healthy compared to like if they are the way they look they don't need to look like we should as a society be able to accept like that's you don't have like prejudice someone based yeah. on their appearance and then yeah, they have to yeah. turn to a drug that might necessarily be ne- necessary for them um so finally, like the Times has quoted officials in the Department of Health and Social Care and said that drugs will get millions of people with joint problems and other illnesses back caused by obesity back to work. But do we really know this at all? Well, that's just like a big happy assumption, right? Yeah, I suppose yeah, you would think, oh, if they're thinner, skinnier, then they might want to go back to work. They'll be fo- feeling more able to go to work, but we don't really know. So I don't know, what do you make of it? Is the fact that the company funded obesity charities and individuals and didn't disclose it, is it a matter if it's still working for patients? Um, It's just just a bit sketchy. And that's just, you know, it's... uh, Yeah, it's just cast a wrong shadow on on this whole situation because drug is great, yeah? The drug works. There's no denying it can have bad side effects for people, but... Overall, but every drug does have a side effect. Yeah, the, but the overall, it seems to have no serious side effects. And there are people who need this drug for real, like, you know? Yeah. To yeah. help them. Yeah, so, like, I'm happy to see that part happening. But with all of this, yeah, like, the social media, the cloud, and TikTokers going after it, and trying to put, like, this unbelievable spin on it. Yeah. It's just... Like a miracle drug. Yeah, it's just making it too too good for what it is, like, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, You're it's never just gonna... a medication, like, you know? Yeah. And it has a good and bad side, like, and just... Yeah, but maybe this is how... Maybe this is how do, how you sell the drug. Maybe this is how, you know, everything works when you just... Companies pump monies into yeah, PR yeah. and... Like, it's not... 
necessarily the first company that's ever put money into getting it promoted like it's not that unusual maybe but yeah i suppose it's just that combined with the fact that it's already getting so much public uh attention right now um the weight is such a oh inflammatory issue anyway like you know yeah 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 i still think it's yeah it's 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 a tricky one because I always would be like, yeah, everyone should be happy the way they look and they should be accepted in society, whatever shape they come in. But then as also as they say here, there's also going to be a huge risk with the impact on medical, um, the me- medical field or like uh, the long term health effects and the pressure, economic pressure puts on hospitals if people are overweight. So it's like, how do you get that balance right? Where you're like, okay, well, I we you should be you should be happy with way you look. You don't have to feel like you are being judged. Whereas also like, but we also you're going to have health effects further down the line. Maybe you should try I and do, implement public health measures. Yeah, maybe like maybe you don't always have to feel happy with the way you look like you know. But like you should never be judged by the way yeah. you look like you know. But. No, I think that's that's the correction I wanted to make. <laughs> um, uh, but and the other thing is like, what do you think as well of this whole medicalization of obesity and the risk that drug manufacturers money may be skewing the debate and maybe so- further sidelining public health measures um, to treat obesity and and the effects that'll have. What do you say? Medicalization? Medicalization, yeah. Of like obesity. treating it with a drug, like treating yeah. it with a pill. If it's possible, we should. You should do it. It doesn't because matter. Like, no, because once you this, this, okay, so this particular pathway for mechanism of this drug is already discovered. Like we know it exists and we know we can alter it. Yeah. So what's the point of discovering something if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna apply it, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So like the cat is out of the bag. We know how we know how to do it. We should we should do it. Just proceed with it, yeah. Yeah, but just be responsible and cautious about it. Like, you know, it not just not just do it like what one big hooray and you know, see see what happens. Like it's uh, at the end of the day it's an intervention and you yeah. have to do it the uh, you have to think this through like and And I think as well yeah. it needs to be in conjunction with public health measures that like if you you can't expect to be healthy and take it i suppose with this drug they don't they can't eat unhealthily because they're not able to eat in general but yeah um maybe like some you, you should be still work doing w- exercise and and in conjunction with it so yeah and even like work with the with the therapist like you know to prepare you for what's gonna happen after the two years when the treatment is finished Mm. like you know because a lot of it is also in your head like you know yeah 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 so yeah that was this my overview thank you you for giving us an insight into the corrupted world of big pharma and how they have shocker how how they have more money than we could ever imagine just to spend around to promote their products and i think as i said oh yeah the market for weight loss drugs is estimated to be up to worth 54 billion dollars and 54 billion dollars yeah and nova nordis saw sales of its obesity treatments rise to by 84 percent in 2022 to 2.4 billion and i think with all this publicity that's going to massively grow significantly that's crazy so, that's crazy money i can't even imagine this <laughs> amount of money 
That's like what your next pivot into that area with your genetic treatments, maybe in the next. Do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you wanna uh, set up a startup? <laughs> yeah, we we'll get we we'll get Carol ruin. Um, we find out something. Okay, Evan, thanks for that. Okay, it was. Um, it's always nice to know that there is a science and there is a, this um, yeah. business part to it as well. Like, to you be, know, I just like maybe for people to be aware, nothing is a, a miracle drug. There is question everything. <laughs> yeah, and um, and be like, I I think just to be try and let if you if you're just trying to do it to lose weight that's not it shouldn't be for use for that it's if you're actually have obesity and you're had health chris that's yeah when not you if you want to get the body for summer yeah exactly like that's as carol rue said it's not to be people who like i want to be skinny it's for people who actually have as he classed the disease of obesity yeah um so yeah, yeah so i'm sorry but you still have to go for a run yeah and you have yeah and maybe cut cut some of your calories. Cut some crap out of your life. <laughs> okay. So yeah, there you go. Yes. Thank you, Evan. So now let me talk to you about um outbreaks. Because they are always fun. <laughs> uh so we, we love we love good outbreak here. We love a good outbreak. We love a good qu- quarantine. So we just uh we still out from the like the COVID outbreak is still very fresh in our memory yeah and yeah, yeah. it was still, so powerful yeah it's still technically happening even though it's not been declared over um that's so yeah. very true yeah i but i i started to think about it very much in, uh, I think in everyone, the past tense everyone has so everyone. Um, yeah but it was what i wanted to say is that the last outbreak or the outbreak that we're still in of COVID 19 was so overwhelmingly powerful that it's hard to think that something that affects 10 five people can also be <laughs> classified as outbreak you know because we i think at least i was just yeah. confirmed now my thinking is like in hundred thousands of millions of people yeah, getting yeah, the disease yeah, you know yeah. but, but i uh, know today um, we're gonna yeah, sorry i just know what this virus you want to talk about i think it's super deadly so um maybe it's like even though it doesn't affect everyone i would want to oh. know Hundred <laughs> percent good, good thing. Yeah, that it doesn't affect as many people as SARS-CoV. Um, so yeah, so you already alluded to it. So the Marburg virus. I'm gonna talk about this, and at the end of it, I'm gonna get into the um, the most recent outbreaks of this virus in um, in Africa, which which have happened recent uh, as recent as a couple of days ago, and I think the the furthest reported cases from February. So this is like really, really now topical um, yes so the marburg virus uh, was first appeared in august 1967 uh, when laboratory worker in marburg uh, frankfurt in germany and belgrade in yugoslavia which is now called serbia were infected with a previously unknown infectious agent and then two major outbreaks of marburg virus occurred in 1998 and 2004 and the infections from the MARV results in a severe hemorrhagic fever. So this is something similar to Ebola virus. Mm-hmm. And they cause organ dysfunction. Uh, and, you know, it's yeah. a it's a fatal disease. It, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, it's a very high chance of you dying. Uh, yeah, so Marburg virus, because it was uh, then this unfortunate laboratory worker happened to caught it in Marburg in Germany. Germany. So hence the name. Right. Um, 
The virus is classified as category A priority pathogen on the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases list. And it is there together with uh, bad guys like Yersinia pestis, which is the cause of plague, uh, Bacillus anthracis, which is the anthrax, uh, anthrax. Um, and there are some other uh, causative a on this list. There are some other causative agents of viral hemorrhagic fevers like uh, Ebola virus and uh, dengue fever virus. So right. the, all of these um, guys are on this list. And the cat category A pathogens are those organism or biological engine agents that possess the highest risk of national security and public health uh, because they can be easily disseminated and transmitted from person to person, results in high mortality rates and have the potential for major public health impact might cause a public panic and social dis uh, disruption and require a special action for public health preparedness. Yeah. So like, it's all sounds like super, super serious. Yeah, I know. Well, um, it's exactly what COVID was nearly, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe a little bit background about the, um, the virus itself. So it's, the, it's a member of the filovirus family and it's a single-stranded negative sense RNA viruses. And do, don't we know everything about the RNA viruses at this point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the two, two, two known members of this family are commonly known as Ebola, Ebola viruses and the Marburg virus. And there are some, uh, some lesser known uh, relatives that uh, also cause severe hemorrhagic fever uh, in humans and non-human primates. Um, so just, just so you know. So viral, hem viral hemorrhagic fevers represent a group of severe uh, systemic illnesses caused by four family of viruses, one, one of them being the filovirus. And symptoms of the viral hemorrhagic fever are characterized by myriad of symptoms that range from coagulopathies, hemodynamic instability, altered mental statuses, and in severe, and severe enough death. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, mm, yeah, and the filoviruses, um, which are the reason for Ebola and Marburg, have been detected in bats in Africa. So, of course, there's a bat implicated somewhere there. Is either a bat there. or a fucking uh, mosquito? <laughs> yeah, it's one or the other. Plague which one is worse, really? Humanity. So, once humans are infected, there is a risk of person-to-person -person spread, especially in those car uh, caring for infected patients. So. This is what happened, I think, in last Ebola outbreak that was in Africa with load, like some of the health workers came back uh, with the Ebola virus because oh, yeah. it is just so hard to not get infected while you're working in the yeah, yeah. In, that, in that zone. Like, you know, there's like so many people and... But the only way it can spread is through bodily fluid contact. Yeah. So... That's, uh, that's Ebola. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's different with... Marburg, there is there is some there is some evidence to show that he can be transmitted in aerosols as well. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, but it's not very substantiated. Um, so once humans are infected, there is a risk to person-person transmission. There have been several outbreaks of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo, with case fatality rates with case fatality rates as high as eighty to ninety percent. That's yeah. crazy. Fatality rates for Marburg hemorrhagic fever are also high, uh, reaching 82% in low-income countries. Um, 
the viruses, the, the viruses that the Marburg viruses, there's like more than one, there's a couple of strains. So they, they divided them into these two lineages. One is referred uh, as a, a Marv, Marv lineage, and that's the more that's the one that is more associated with human infections. And there is also this uh, RAVV lineage. We're not gonna talk much about okay. that. Uh, the natural sources of the Marv uh, lineage of viruses were successfully determined to be in the Egyptian fruit bat, uh, Sandevil's rounded leaf bat, and there are some other occasional species of the bat that were tested positive with this virus, but they are the reservoir from from which everything is starting up. Um, the virus itself, the virus in itself, uh, is a negative sense virus RNA that contains a twenty kilo kilo, ba kilo base long uh, genome that encodes seven genes. The seven genes are responsible for encoding of seven structural protein. Uh, MARF contains a host-derived membrane layer, which is spiked in uh, regular intervals. And these spikes made up of uh, heavy, glyco heavy glycosylated proteins are necessary for attachment to sustainable host cell. So far, so familiar. <laughs> haven't we heard that before somewhere? <laughs> with the spike glyco, uh, glycosylated spike protein. proteins. Yeah. So just a little bit more about the transmission. And then I, um, I tell you the story about the vaccines and uh, the recent outbreak. Um, so the bat to bat transmission uh, can occur in, se in several ways. A recent study uh, detected the shedding of MARF in rectal, oral and urine samples from MARF inoculated bats. So you literally can't escape uh, that stuff. Um, well, if you're in a, near a bat, like... <laughs> yeah, like if you're doing some cave exploration in Africa, God bless your soul. Uh, they also found that MARV is present in oral and blood samples of in-contact bats. Presence of MARV in lung, intestine, kidneys, bladder, salivary glands, and females' reproductive tract tissues of inoculated bats suggest a viral transmission is as possible as horizontal transmission. So that what it means that... Uh, a healthy bat can acquire disease, a virus from its ne its neighbor who is sick and, you know, it's spitting urine or whatever and the other bat licks it and that's how to get it. Mm -hmm. And then also, so that's the, uh, uh, and then the other form of transition is uh, from the mother to an offspring because of the presence of the virus in the, oh, yeah, in the uh, yeah, in the reproductive tra uh, tract tissues, yes. Intermediate hosts, such as the non-human primates and animals hunted for bushmeat, in addition to natural reservoir, for example, sal sal saliva, urine, and excrements of bats, are the primary vectors for MARV transmission. Uh, the transmitting path uh, from reservoir hosts to human remains unknown. However, it is possible that bat saliva, urine, and feces, as well as MARV-contaminated fruits, are the probable causes of transmission in humans, as well as non-human primates. Mm. So these, I think these things will never be like clear-cut, known exact mm. uh, time, time, time stamp re and how it happened step by step, because it's such a chaotic um, environment, I yeah. think, when you find yourself there and you never know if yeah, you don't have to be exactly in a cave, you could either for the the bat the it could, it could be from a fruit that you've yeah. eaten that they've been around. 
Yeah, so it could be literally anything, but you know, these things happen like these still, these tribes living out there and they go mm -hmm. and they have to hunt and you know, it's just what happens. Interestingly, Marv may transmit due to sexual intercourse with humans as well. So, um, so not only uh, the the reproductive tissue in bats, but also in humans. Yeah. Which, um, that, and That's that is like- with Ebola. That is very tricky because apparently even, let's say you had the virus, but uh, you know, you, you found yourself in this lucky 10% that yeah, you survived. Yeah. Um, the virus in, apparently the virus in the, in the male semen is just there latent. Yeah, that, I heard that with Ebola so as well. even if you're healthy, like and you and Weeks. and you have an intercourse with someone you can still infect someone even though you're healthy yeah. like that's that's crazy mm. um and and the modes of transmission between humans are quite similar to what to what i have described in bats you know like the basically uh you have to be associated with the fluids of the uh, of the infected person so um scary that when once you get the virus you have a you you have a three different phases that you go in through phase one two and three and of course they start progressively one after the other until you die and so the early symptoms are start very innocent like um you maybe you might think you have a flu mm. um then you start developing fever that yeah. reaches a uh, 40 degrees uh, the, spectrum of, the spectrum of symptoms also include fatigue, loss of appetite, abdominal pains, weight loss, speaking about the uh, Vigovi, uh, severe nausea, vomiting. I don't recommend that for weight loss. No, don't get Marburg uh, fever, no. Uh, diarrhea, anorexia, and then you can have some uh, impairment of the production of speech resulting to brain damage. Uh, you can have a rash. Uh, and inflammation of the pharynx, which results in the sore throat. So there's like this whole different symptoms in mm. phase one. In phase two, uh, everything that you already had is uh, is still there. Yeah. You just get a, a, a more and more symptoms on top of it, which which are mo at this point is loads of neurological symptoms because of the brain damage. Approximately seventy five percent. Uh, of patients are present with hemorrhagic manifestations at the phase two, including mucosal bleeding, uh, uh, bloody diarrhea, visceral hemorrhagic effusions, uncontrolled leakage from venipuncture sites, hemotasis, and ecchymosis. And in phase three, um, infection either becomes fatal or patients enter a prolonged phase of restoration. Uh, fatality generally occurs between eight and 16 days after the onset of the symptoms. Typically shock and multi-organ failure are the primary drivers of disease. So there's not really a drug that you can give to make them feel better. It's just, yeah. you just have to go through all of that. And then God. you just see if you're strong enough to fight it through, if, is your body strong enough or if you're just gonna mm. die. And I think that is so sad yeah um, well at the, yeah because i suppose these are so remote areas as well that they wouldn't even have basic medications to give yeah and um, i'm sure they could uh, like pain some pain relief can they or like uh well you i think you can like care for the patients and uh you know try to make the 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 progression of the disease as as comfortable as possible for them yeah. whatever that means 
but I don't know if you can just like, yeah, but you can definitely not, not cure it by the means of medical intervention. Mm, yeah, just to help with the symptoms. Just help with the symptoms, And like, so yeah. is there any, what, like, what's the main difference? Is there any real differences between Ebola symptoms and Marlberg symptoms? Do you know? Um, don't know. I, I, th I think uh, because they are classified as the same virus, they that's why the the more loads of the symptoms is so overlapping. Yeah. Um, I think there's. I think the main difference is results from uh, the genetic sequence of the of the virus. That's yeah, why we yeah. recognize the two. Two. There are two two different strains, two different species of viruses. Yeah. Well, I suppose both are so such severe symptoms that like. They ver they're very, very similar. So they, very, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It, it, it's not like there's going to be one symptom that stands out. They're both like, it's hemorrhagic. Yeah, hemorrhagic fever. And, so, and but because they are so close together, um, loads of vaccine have been being developed, uh, you know, par parallel, both for MARV and Ebola yeah. virus using similar technologies. Um, yeah, but unfortunately, there is still nothing, nothing available yet. Uh, okay. To, to tackle that they have been tests using guinea pigs using completely gamma irradiated uh, viral particles which makes them technically inactive, inactive. Um, and they were tested and there have been some successful but limited data uh, but um, but in the non-human primates it didn't really work that well so they they dropped that project there was a there was another attempt uh, rather than using the fully uh, gamma ir irradiated inactive viral particles they wanted to focus on this uh, glycoprotein at least for one of the strains of the marburg vi uh, virus the musoke uh, marburg um and this vaccine was uh, tested this vaccine was also tested in guinea pigs when they just had this glycoprotein and when the guinea pigs were vaccinated with uh with a certain dose uh only four out of five uh, guinea pigs survived uh the uh, the vaccination for right. the mar virus so it's very uh yeah immunogenic and with uh, with such limited efficacy for protection from the Marburg hemorrhagic fever, they uh, this was not any uh, was not developed well, yeah. any further. <laughs> I don't think that that would work. <laughs> and then then you have a virus like particles are these are multi protein structures that mimic the organization and conformation of authentic native viruses, but lack the viral genome. So um, you just expose an empty shell, trying to um, trying to induce uh, immunization, and again for the 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 vital like particles for the Marburg Musoka variant, were able to provide protection against three three other strains of the uh, Mar of the Marburg virus, um, in rodents and in non-human primates, but it was not developed any further. Right. And then the last one that I want to mention is a DNA vaccine. And these have uh, several benefits. They are safe to use, easy to produce. Uh, the host cell protein synthesis allows for endogenous expression of the desired antigen. And finally, the DNA itself pr provides in the vaccine can induce immunostimulatory response because there's loads of things that detect foreign DNA in your body as well. Yeah, yeah. And on two separate experiments uh, describing the efficacy of the DNA vaccination against the MARV uh, using expression plasmids of the glycoprotein, 
the non-human primates were vaccinated three times at one month intervals with DNA expression either um, for the MARV general or for the Musoka variant and uh, both for the glycoprotein spike sticking out and only a partial protection was achieved and uh, and 33 percent of the animals succumbed to the to the hemorrhagic fever um so that's there's pretty... nothing there's nothing there there's there's no what is 30 percent so that's still pretty <laughs> good is it uh, yeah, only 33% of these animals One got three, the fever, yeah. you know? Yeah. But then uh, they still dropped it. Like, yeah. I think it, I think this one went to more. some clinical trials, but it's just, yeah, they... They want they wanted a more effective... Yeah, they say... Um, so this is like a quote from the paper I was looking. Um, Almost no progress has been made towards clinical trials. Taking into consideration that filoviruses can only be handled in the high contaminated facilities available in few countries worldwide, and that until 2014 they had not caused more than a few thousand human fatalities, there was never enough commercial interest or funding oh, available yeah, yeah. Uh, for the development and li development mm. of licensed countermeasures against and it's Marburg to, and like, Ebola. Measure the efficacy in humans because if it's so rare. How would you ever find, like, you're going yeah. to be monitoring them for ages. And, like, what about the Ebola vaccine? Does that not work? Sim like, could you give like it that to Like, use Ebola vaccine against Marburg infection? Yeah. Would it have... I didn't, look if the, I didn't look if the cross... Uh, mm. cross that's an interesting thing to, to look up. Because it's such similar, you'd be like, okay. But I don't know, Maybe. is the Ebola yeah. vaccine, like, very gene-specific, like, uh, an RNA vaccine that you couldn't... I would, I would presume it's um I yeah, it's again one of the markers yeah. as well anyways like yeah. if, it, it but yeah really there's no it. there's no incentive to do it like no no <laughs> and okay so the about the outbreaks so first uh the most recent ones first one first one was in the equatorial guinea i think that's how you pronounce it yeah and uh it happened on the 13th of february the government of uh, Equatorial Guinea confirmed its first ever outbreak of Marburg virus disease. Preliminary tests following uh, carried out following the deaths of at least nine people in the country's eastern uh, province turned out positive on one of the samples for the viral hemorrhagic fever. Equatorial Guinea health, or health authorities sent samples to the Institute Pasteur Reference Laboratory in Senegal. Uh, with the support from the World Health Organization to determine the cause of the disease after after an alert by the district health official on the 7th of, on the 7th of February. Of the eight samples tested at the Institute Pasteur, one turned out to be positive for the virus. So far, nine deaths and six, 16 suspected cases with symptoms including fever, fatigue and blood, stained vomit and diarrhea have been reported. Overall, since the beginning of the outbreak and as of 21st, 21st of March, a cumulative number of 9 confirmed and 20 probable cases have been recorded in Equatorial Guinea. Mm. And then in Republic of Tanzania, an outbreak of Marburg virus uh, disease was announced by health authorities on the 21st of March 2022. 
Through contact tracing, approximately 161 people have been identified as a risk of infection. According to the World Health Organizations, the government has deployed an emergency response team to an area and neighboring, neighboring countries have stepped up surveillance. Tedros Adheno Gebreyes, the WHO <laughs> director, yeah. director general, said on Thursday that eight Marburg cases had been reported in Tanzania, including five deaths. So this but is this literally... Is, is this a, did you say 2022? 2023. This oh, is like sorry. happening now. Oh, this is happening now. Right, right. Yeah, in, the, in Guinea and in Tanzania. Yeah. So awful news. Is, um, so there's um, two separate outbreaks that's happening right now. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I think, I think what they're trying to, what they're thinking is that there was a transmission from Guinea to Tanzania. Mm, yeah, someone. Rather than, rather than a separate, uh, yeah, separate yeah, yeah. unrelated outbreak. Yeah, yeah. So someone so, must have either went from Guinea to. Yeah, because they're Tanzania. not neighboring countries. Yeah, Guinea yeah, is on yeah. the one coast and Tanz Tanzania oh, is on the crazy. other coast. Yeah. So um, that's really scary. Um, I remember how 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 loud it was about the when the Ebola had its break uh, yeah. outbreak in Africa. Yeah, yeah. And how every like, country was sending its um, like medical professionals to help, which is the right thing to do, obviously. But yeah, this is when uh, this is when nature really scares the mm. like the crap think, out of you. Do you think the high death rate is just because it's so remote? There's so little you can do. Um, and that if they actually had proper access to uh, medical equipment and medical medicine, that they. But what? But if there is no cure for it, what? How? If you go to a total total organ failure, they might keep you alive, but you will be dead. No. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm, I'm just wondering, is it is there a way of like trying if they had like I'm still thinking it'd be high fatality, but I, I, I think know. maybe the isolation would be more organized and mm -hmm. less chance of exposing other people to the infected people in the mm. in in the like developed countries maybe with like yeah. you know with the with the hospital infrastructure and the public health system infrastructure. And you don't I think, think also, I think in Africa, a lot, a lot, there is like these tribes, because if it does happen in the summer in the, in the tribe, it's not really like a part of a, like a city. It's like, you know, when you live in the, in the bush or somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have like their own, um, maybe like funeral, um, or oh, like the rituals, rituals. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. And. I think I think that was the case with the Ebola that yeah. because of their re religious um, or tribal rituals, yeah, yeah. they were just unnecessarily exposing themselves to get infected. Yeah, yeah, yeah and like yeah. that that also probably well it doesn't help um, once you once you dare. Oh yeah, yeah, no, like they said that was a big factor with. The, the, I think one of the big ones was they didn't trust the health officials when they came there at the yeah. beginning. So they were hiding because they were thought they were the ones that were causing it. So people with symptoms, they were or they they were hiding them. Yeah. And it was only when they were like, oh, it's done. And then they came out. Then there was like a huge outbreak because they weren't really communicating yeah. properly with the these people. And they were afraid. And then the other one was that, that their, their ritual for burial 
involves like a very intensive like touching and interacting with the dead body so which was like leading to huge amounts of um the virus just spreading yeah yeah and to, in between family members and all that stuff so like yeah it's scary but i think it's not as scary as when Ebola was there first i think there's a lot uh of measures they need they're aware of now and they know to deal with yeah hopefully, hopefully we learned from it and from the previous um, ones. that it can they can be contained as long as it's not airborne <laughs> then uh then we we should be should be good and hopefully they have like drugs or i'm sure like drugs or stuff that they've been using to that they know might work with ebola should work with treatment with this this virus yeah. so hopefully um, they will find something and um, yeah hopefully it's not gonna be a massive outbreak and it's just gonna it's gonna be contained nice and quickly yeah but it's crazy like a uh, one person who's who's carrying it can like mess yeah. up a whole place that's it uh, kill people not intentionally hopefully not intentionally yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay cool on yeah. that uh, on that, that note yeah so be uh hopefully hopefully we won't hopefully it won't spread here like ebola i don't think was ever going re- well there was always a little fear but i don't think it yeah it was ever going to come so i think where the risk of it coming to where you are is pretty low but i heard actually I think there was one in spain where they were someone who had it yeah um, that's close to africa as possible so yeah just not ne- Ireland never is safe. say never okay um okay so that was today's episode i think um do you have any other comments about that no we thought we talked about um world uh world earth world world water day yeah uh the the mysterious cause of better than deafness yeah the um the The misuse of the semi-agglutins in the semaglutide and marburg hemorrhagic fever Mm. that's what we covered today that's what we covered today you did it perfectly. did i do it right evan because i know you always do it yeah (laughs) no you did a perfect job um so yeah thanks for listening hope you enjoyed today's episode hope you learned something um and don't don't take semaglutide to get that beach body ready put the work in put the work (laughs) in that that's what we're gonna do no pain no gain no (laughs) rise and grind all right mark Wahlberg. (laughs) uh okay so yeah i will talk to you on the next one have a have a great day wherever you're listening from and yeah stay skeptical stay skeptical bye bye